This is Adam Lippi, writer, editor, publisher of RegrettableSincerity.com, and this is an interview I did with Amanda Fuller, who's the star of Red, White, and Blue, which was just released on DVD on May 21st. Now, this was originally recorded last August, but because of the limited theatrical release it got, I didn't want to, to spoil the movie for anyone who might want to see it, and the audience would obviously be a lot bigger now that the film is on DVD. And since we discussed the third act in such great detail, I want to give people some time, maybe a couple weeks after the release, hence why it's being put out now. If you don't want the movie spoiled for you, the first 35 minutes should be just fine. That's about half of the podcast. The spoilers don't really come until that point. Regardless, you'll learn about uh, making low-budget TV, making low-budget films... You'll learn about uh, Amanda's role as Donna's sister on That 70s Show and some of the TV movies she made and her fear about being typecast after doing nude scenes in Red, White, and Blue and if she's just only going to get offered Scream Queen type stuff where before she even gets her head cut off, she has to take her top off first. Now, the stray details, things I might refer to, include... uh, I constantly refer to the Warriors guy, which is... Uh, actor Mark Center, uh, and there's a picture of him in Red, White, and Blue uh, on uh, RegrettableSincerity.com, and you'll find him in the article where you either found this podcast, if you found this on iTunes, uh, just go to RegrettableSincerity.com, and it should be under the article. Uh, I also talk about the Q&A, she did Q&A after a screening of Red, White, and Blue last July, and uh, when I refer to Primal Doubt, that's a TV movie she made in 2007 with Janine Turner that was made for the Lifetime Network. And other than that, everything should be pretty clear, so please enjoy. Uh, when you were doing the uh, sex scenes in Red, White, and Blue, were you actually doing an impression of Janine Turner? Um, <laughs> in, in her sex scenes in uh, Primal Doubt? Oh my gosh, you saw Primal Doubt? I did, I saw it a couple hours ago. Oh no! Why did you do that? I'm sorry. I shouldn't speak. <laughs> well, I saw it because you know I'm I, I'm I'm a, I, I have to know who I'm talking to and what I'm talking you're, about. You're digging into all the dirt. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you know, it it's a movie. You have yeah. dialogue. I'm, I'm a, a, a couple of scenes. Yeah, no, no, nothing all that vital. No. I, was try- I was trying to figure out technique. I was hoping maybe you were the killer. But you weren't. Uh, Maybe yeah, there were, was, was there a version of the script where you were the killer? The, the script kept adapting as we went along. Actually, that, that whole end scene of of me coming in and discovering, you know, everything happening, like we came up with that on the spot on the day because we were all talking and we're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, in no way do we actually like expose the fact that the daughter knows what's going on at all. Like, she's just completely disconnected to the whole storyline, and so. When I started talking to the director about it, and said to Janine, and we were just like, let's just have her walk in. And I mean, it was all very <laughs> on the spot. And yeah, um, it was I emulating her sex scenes in that? I don't even remember. I don't even know if I've seen the whole film. I was so. being facetious anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I can't even remember. She, 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 she goes through the sex scenes actually in the opposite fashion that you do, which is she's kind of bored. Oh. You, she's like distracted and thinking about something else. Um, well, I have to say, through Red, White, and Blue, you know, it, it was interesting that your sort of compulsion, your character's compulsion, to have sex with just as many different people as she can, she seems to enjoy it very much. It is not 
a sort of nihilistic thing. You did, you did think that she enjoyed it? But well, no, no, no. I mean, she seemed to attempt to in some sense. Right. Um, yeah. It was an interesting um, discussion that Simon and I had, actually, because I've done a lot of research on characters like this, and it's not the first character I've played that's come from abuse. And so I know a lot about all of that. I've read lots of books and done my research on it. And I, there's one, one trait is that you know, promiscuous girls who come from abuse don't don't enjoy it. They're silent. They don't make noise. It, but you did. You did make noise. Right. Simon wanted that, and so it was something that we came to an agreement on. That okay, I'm going to take you know some of the research I've done and tweak it, and maybe you know maybe I, I justified it to make sense for for me and playing the character. And I think it was just for him visually something that he thought was important to. I don't know. It was something that he definitely wanted visually, and so we, you know, made it work. But it's interesting you mentioned that because it is it was a little contradictory to some of the research I've done. But and 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 actually, so was your answer just now. But that's all right. I'm not. I'm not angry. You're not, wait, what? <laughs> your your answer was kind of contradictory too. But it's. It, I understand because you're stuck in that position where. Well, well, it was, yeah, because it was something that was it was contradictory to the research I've done. But what the you know Simon wanted it. And it made sense for him and the story he was telling, and so I justified it. You know, I did my own work to justify I'm not, it. I'm not criticizing you. Understand that that you're no, put yeah. you're put in a weird position like that, um, and that he has to get something visually. I mean, I, I it's it's a very strange movie to see because I'm never sure how seriously you're supposed to take it. Right. Is that is like that what, the sex or like? What? No, no, the whole movie. It's so and the tone changes so much. Like the the whole second, well, I guess it's third act stuff where the guy proposes marriage to you. You know, we're supposed to think of him as sort of like a theoretically sensible person, and none of that makes any sense. Yeah, I think, I think. I mean, I took that as, you know, he's a guy who's just gone off his rocker at this point. Like, he's lost it. And he's grasping at any straws that he can to make his life work, and it's coming out in this absurd way. And, mm-hmm. and I tried to take that scene... As when when playing it as real like as if that were actually happening, how absurd that would be, you know, and hopefully kind of be the audience's perspective in that moment because it is so ridiculous and like comical in a way. But I think that that is something that can possibly happen when people are going through extreme emotional things in their life that they kind of just lose their mind a little bit. So. I don't know, did that make sense to you that part? Yeah, it, that, that did, yeah, sure. I mean, it, that's one of those things, like, I imagine that must be very difficult to play because, you know, if I was reading that, I'd be like, well, there seems to be, like, ten pages missing here between this transition. And, you know, what am I supposed to do? I, I mean, I'm assuming Simon tried to fill it in for you a little? Or did they cut something out? No, I actually don't think the script is, or what you've done with the screen is pretty much, word, you know, page for page of script. I don't think much was cut out. I think at that point in the story, everything is just kind of, you know, going off the deep end in so many ways that aren't natural to our lives, but you just kind of take it as, it's like things that happen in life that are so absurd that you don't believe that they actually happen, you know, and, and that's kind of where the story is taken at that point, so... For me, reading the script and, and following the plot, I was just like, okay. I mean, the guy, you know, he ends up killing me. He ends up killing me. It's stabbing me. It's obviously he's at a point, but right. so it kind of was justified in the sense of his behavior. It wasn't making any sense, anyways. So, and for me, it was good for the character. Just kind of like obviously, the audience doesn't know 
that, you know, no and I are married yet and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so the emotional behavior of my, where my character is coming from, it adds so much depth to it, having that secret and then him asking me to, you know, so it's an interesting, you know, turn of events and I just kind of took it and went with it. Well, I don't know if you read the uh, the Onion or at least the AV Club version of the Onion. No, I don't. Okay. Well, you know what the Onion is, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they have one of the most lively comment sections on their uh, on their AV version, like just the film reviews and interviews and stuff like that. And there's a there's a common thing that commenters say to each other where they say that I hope you get cancer AIDS, which is a silly nonsense statement. But it seems... It's, what? Cancer AIDS? Cancer AIDS, yes. Okay. Cancer of the AIDS. I mean, it's nonsense. That's the point. Um, right. But it seems as if um, the guy's mother does have cancer AIDS. And I, I think that Simon should be... Simon should be um, congratulated for working that into the movie. <laughs> that's awful. That's so true, though. Yeah. <laughs> One way to make that come to life, I guess. Leave it to Simon Rumbley's mind, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you said in the Q&A after the movie that you, had heard, you hadn't you had heard of him. Had you ever seen The Living and the Dead beforehand? I watched it um, the night before I met him when I knew that he was flying out from Lesnar from, I don't know, London or Austin at the time, but when he was flying out to meet me after I initially read for the part, I knew that in order, I wasn't going to go in an interview with him if I had, wasn't committed to playing the part. So after reading the script, I knew with all of, you know, the risks that the script would take that I wanted to believe in his previous work. So I went out and rented it the night before and watched it and watched the making of and saw Milton Cam, who was the EP, and how they worked together. And I really loved Living the Dead. I thought it, was, it affected me greatly. So I trusted, from that point on, I trusted Simon. And I went in with the meeting the following day and... We hit it off and, you know, talked about character and all that. So I had, yeah, I, I watched it the night before. I mean, is that where he, I mean, I'm assuming you had to have it in your contract that the, the copious nude scenes, I don't, I don't think Oh, yeah, you... I mean, I knew reading the script, but it's like, okay, this, there's no way I'm playing this part without the nudity. Right. Like, it would be completely, it, it would be absurd in a sense, because that's what the film's about. It's about you know, her sex life and, and consequences of it and all of that. So, I mean, I've been offered stuff with nudity before and I've turned it down because I always just said, you know, it would be something that I have to believe in the project, I have to believe in the story. And this came along and it was one of those things that it was essential to the script and moved the story along. And so I just, I, yeah, I mean, I basically gave free range. I was like, whatever we need to do, we'll do it. So. I don't know. It was part, right part of that process seemed to be that you didn't. Uh, there's not a lot of makeup you're wearing in in the no. scenes. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, hard. I mean, barely any. <laughs> I don't even. Yeah, and, and it was like 110 degree heat. So whatever makeup we would put on in the morning was gone. You know, right. an hour into the day, we're sweating it off. So completely there, a fair uh, performance, I guess I would say. And I'll always encourage. You know, usually when when um, actors who are British or Australian or from New Zealand, they say that uh, the easiest accent to do in Amer- American accent is the Southern accent. Um, but I, I can't honestly say that Noah Taylor's accent was all that successful. Did you make fun of him plenty? No, no, I didn't make fun of him at all. We were, I mean, we you know worked on it. As much. It was it, it was hard to decipher actually when we were shooting how 
it was coming off because in between takes he was being himself, you know, mm-hmm. and so for me it was hard to gauge whether or not it was working or not. It's, you're the first person that's mentioned that to me. I, I've been surprised at how people, you know, I think his accent worked enough and I think he did a great job, um, but I'm very picky with accents so I can hear discrepancies here and there and, and but everyone else that I've talked to and all of their reviews have been like flawless accent. So really, I mean, it's 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 not like Helen Hunt slipping like through Brooklyn and non Brooklyn accents, but you know, it's he he slips on on occasion, and it's not just when he's shouting, which is always the giveaway. Right, right. That's always when your real accent comes out. Like sometimes, even when he's just talking in a low manner, a couple of the scenes where he's talking to you at the Home Depot sort of place. Yeah, the hardware store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I don't know. I think for me it wasn't all too noticeable. I think his performance is intense and riveting enough that I guess it's easy to just kind of not notice that. I mean, mm-hmm. at least that's what that was for me watching it. But. On the set, does Simon, did Simon try to justify any of this as realistic? Or is it like a, a semi-fantasy? Because I know you told me that, because I asked, you know, it seems to take, it has this very 70s feel to it, but then there are cell phones, and then, you know, it was clearly meant to look like some 70s exploitation films, <clears throat> but was there a surrealist element that he was going for? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the movie trying to explain in my head the, the immense tone changes. That's kind of what ma- made me amused, actually, by it. How did, how did he explain them, or what was, I mean, what was the tone that you thought he was going for? I think the tone was just authenticity. Like, like real life, like documentary, you know, like real, let's follow these people in their lives and be as honest as possible. And yes, these things do happen and can very, be very realistic and, and, you know, what takes place in, in that sense. But I don't, I mean, I don't, you'd have to ask him whether or not, I, I don't think that there's any intention in it being surreal. I think the intention is to make it, opposite of that, like very real and very like this, you know, it's possible. And no, no, I mean, that. in the sense that there's an attempt at sort of a documentary realism, I see that, but the events in themselves are absurd, so... Uh, well, absurd to a certain extent, I mean, you know, if you if you do some research on, on murderers and, uh-huh. and the kind of things people go through all across America, like, this stuff actually happens, so... I, don't, I never thought it was absurd. The reason I fell in love with the script is because I saw it as characters that, you know, normally wouldn't be paid attention to in a real and honest way. Like, it'd almost be hyped up in a horror film or hyped up in, you know, a psychological thriller where it's like these people, people that have lives like this, these things actually do happen. So to bring it to the forefront in cinema in a realistic setting like was really intriguing to me and to bring like real life and honest life to that I mean that was that's how I took it when I first read it and that's what I think our, I think all of our attention was in telling the story is you know what the horrifying things that happened in in our hum, you know humanity in a way but that's my opinion I fell in love with it in the first place well, yeah, your opinion is obviously more important than mine because you made the movie. So. Uh, now, um, has anyone told you that throughout the movie, like Pia Zadora? No, I haven't heard that. Do you know who Pia Zadora was? Or no. Is? Okay. Uh, she was an actress who was kind of, she actually is a Golden Globe winner when the Golden Globes had even less credibility 
than they do now. Uh, it was, and it, that's not a mark on you. It's just your visual similarity to her. Uh, she was a singer, and her husband at the time tried to give her a career, so he kind of like bought her movie career. And she's in a movie called Butterfly, and uh, with Orson Welles and Stacy Keach, uh, Voyage of the Rock Aliens, which is as silly as it sounds. And I'm trying to remember some of the others, but uh, she's sort of like a oh, the Lonely Lady, in which she's a screenwriter who um, eventually gets raped by a hose by Ray Liotta. Oh, okay, okay. Right. Doesn't that sound enticing? That's wonderful. I'm not really good at raping anybody. It's with, with, with a garden hose too. Just think of that. <laughs> and and our movies are third. No. Oh, that movie. Your movie's a lot better than that one. Good, Lonely Lady is absurd. It just doesn't mean to be. Uh, yeah, well, um, hopefully that's not <laughs> But I was watching, like, wow, like, is this is this intentional? But, you know, it, it's just the specific look you had in that, because watching you in other things, you don't look like her at all in any of your other roles. Yeah, well, so, so it's not my actual facial structure, it's more like the look of the character? Uh, it's some, some of your facial structure. I mean, clearly you lost a lot of weight to play the role, right? No, I no, actually no. I I booked it the Friday before we started shooting, so I didn't have time to lose any weight. Oh, okay. No, I meant uh, and uh, again, not a pox on you, but you were a little heavier in primal doubt, and not in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, I was. Yeah, no, I just um, that was just life happened. Mm-hmm. I've lost weight since then and kept it on. I think I was just transforming into being a woman, sort of thing. I right. No. Again, yeah, like you know. You should never take any of these things as criticisms of you. Oh, I'm not at all. I'm they're they're observations and, and and nothing more. That's that's. I'm not saying you were so fat. No, no, I totally hear you though. No, it's true. My body changed during that time of filming. You know, since primal doubt to to um, now and red, white, and blue and all that. I don't take it as a criticism at all. I will send you an image of Pizadora. Oh, have you ever okay. seen the original version of Hairspray? Oh yeah, yeah. She's in that. She plays Sonny Bono's. Uh, wife. Okay. She's like one of the hippies in it. <laughs> she always looks like she's wearing a wig. Probably because she is, but she's squeaky voice. She's cute, small. Huh. So, so you said some facial structure, but more like wardrobe and character. No, no, no. You're not playing a character like her, but facial structure. The the uh, the hair is the same, at least in some of her roles. She's like a. Um, a squeaky koopy doll, if that makes sense. <laughs> I'm not squeaky at all. No, I know. I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I didn't say you, you talk like her. You're certainly a better actress, which I know sounds like a compliment. Um, but is it compared to Comparatively, it's not, but you're better than, you know, just, be, you know, better than Pia Zadora. That's like, I'm skinnier than, I don't know, Ron Jeremy. That's <laughs> not saying anything. Well, I, I thank you for the non-compliment. <laughs> Backhanded. Think of it that way. Yeah, there we go. Uh, was this your first sort of lead role? Certainly as an adult. Was it your first lead role? Um, as an adult in a film like this, yeah. Yeah, basically. Uh, was that one of the... Because I remember you said during the Q&A, it was something like, well, you know, oh, you'd heard, your agent recommended this, and you weren't, you didn't really know anything about it. But I thought I thought to myself while you were talking, like I bet this is because it was like a, a lead role, and that was you know sort of a career boost in a sense. And not not that your ambitions were wrong. I mean, that's exactly what the goal should be. But was that part of the decision to make the movie? 
No, the decision to make well, I'm always looking for interesting characters that are compelling to me and that I feel like, you know, my whole reason to be an actor and my whole reason to, you know, do what I do is because I love telling stories and if I can, like, bring voice to people, characters, you know, that, that otherwise don't have a voice, then that's, that's what I'm interested in doing. And this was that for me. And, of course, I'm always looking for more, like, compelling characters to play because that's part of the spell for me. I love it. And I've been given the opportunity a lot in television. Like, luckily, with my TV career, I've had a lot of dynamic kind of characters to play, but no, not so much in the film world. So, of course, my, my intention is to want to do more film and have a film career um, more than anything. And this came along, and it was risky and, and low-budget and all that stuff that it was. It was intriguing to me, and it moved me, so I wanted to do it. That was pretty much it. I mean, everything is, yeah, okay, great, a lead role in a, a, lead role in a film would be helpful, but you know, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. I've other indies where I've been the lead and nothing has happened with them, you know, so and nobody's ever seen them and, and that sort of thing. Like, so, which, because which, I tried to watch some of your other stuff, I watched some of the TV stuff, but which films did you have the lead in, because I may not have been able to find them, um, that uh, didn't get a release or... You're asking 18 years of working. If I can, like, there was, you know, like short films for AFI and other, like, it's been independent. Well, could I show they cut out a lot of stuff and put in Mr. Sadman and, uh, you know, other independents that are not really seen very much. And not, none of them have been as, as much of a lead as this character was. Oh, okay. No, I mean, I noticed that you were, like, sometimes, like, fourth or fifth build. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, well, yeah. should I try to figure that out? I tried to find my life disoriented and, you know, no right. luck finding that. I mean, how do, you, how do you feel about that sort of thing where you work very hard and then not only, like, you know, if I wanted to download that movie, I couldn't. Which one? My life disoriented. Like, yeah. n- which oh. means that nobody owns it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I am aware. But that's, that's, how, that's the risk you take as an actor. You're just trying to get good work and hopefully one of like the projects will end up doing well and then hopefully it'll lead to more work which that's I mean you're talking to somebody who's been doing it since I was a kid and and obviously I love the work enough to still be in this business but that's the name of the game in a way so you well, man, but you do you do a TV show and and the episode will run whether or not right. your whole part well, is there. Not always, though. I mean, I did, I did pilot, like a string of pilots in a row that not got, that didn't get picked up, and nobody ever saw them except for people within the industry who, you know, still to this day, for a couple of them, be like, "Oh, whatever happened to that show? It was so great, blah blah." blah. But it, so it's not always. I mean, if you're doing a guest star on an episodic that's already running on the network, then yes, that's pretty much guaranteed. But they can still cut you out. Right. So right. They're always goes of your work not getting seen. It's not about the, I mean, it is about the work getting seen. Of course you want to do stuff that ends up affecting people and moving people. That's my goal with what I do. But, but you, you, you have to let it go at some point. You just have to do your job and hope that it, you know, takes the right course. So I'm happy that, you know, with Red, White, and Blue is actually getting noticed and getting seen anywhere. <laughs> well, that was part of my question earlier was, uh, is that part, you know, you do a TV show and maybe you get cut out, but the TV show will air if it's you know, a currently running series. You're in a lot, you were, you've done a lot of one-offs and currently, you know, in, in running series. So you know what that's like, but in the sense that you think, well, if I'm in this and then it never gets released, like, what am I doing this for? Or do you not think about that until after it's finished? I don't think about that at all because I've been doing it long enough for I know that you never know what's going to happen. And it's not, it's, for me, it's about the work. I love 
I love being on set. I love creating a character. I love collaborating with other artists. I love the actual process of filmmaking. It's not about being famous or, you know, all of that. I mean, the only reason that I think that would ever have a benefit to me is because it would allow me to work more, which is what I love to do. So, no, I mean, it's a bonus when people get to see your work and hopefully, you know, like, are affected by it in some way. That's kind of icing on the cake. And obviously that's the, the deepest hope for it, but the work itself is what drives me to do what I do. Now, you, you do have the benefit of being in the best TV movie of all time, and I'm not talking about um, whatever it takes with Andrew Dice Clay and Fred Williamson. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Which I've seen, actually, a long time ago. Um, oh. I don't... I, forgive me if I don't remember you. I don't know. I, I, I notice your part is not that far down the list. Um, yeah. But were, were, you weren't the daughter who gets... Where they try to sell off. Yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I credit myself for remembering that. Yeah, I credit yourself. <laughs> Very impressive. But you're in the best TV movie I've ever seen, which is Don King Only in America. Ah, uh, yeah. But again, I, I have no memory of you being in the movie, but you were probably That was about, a very small but, part. Which is funny about that is I actually worked with Ving Rhames on one of my first movie of the week when I was like nine or whatever in, up in Northern California. It was like a Tony Danza movie, movie of the week. And he played like a security guard kind of like police officer. What what, what a, movie was that? Do you know? Oh, Deadly Whispers. Oh, okay. And I had a supporting part as Tony's daughter, and you know, it was a pretty decent part for you know a nine year old little girl. Mm-hmm. And being had you know a couple scenes basically here and there, and then cut to a couple years later, <laughs> I'm like basically you know being rings and he's doing the playing Don King, and I get like a two or three scene little bit in his his movie, and it was just kind of you know that's how these things work. It was kind of Ironic and funny, and it was fun to work with him again. What's funny, I mean, like, by the time Deadly Whispers came out, which was a few years later, he, he was already big, because Pulp Fiction had already Yeah, exactly. Out. I, that's, yeah, exactly. It was, it was kind of great to see how that happened. <laughs> okay. That's how, the, that's how this business is. I mean, everything is hit and miss, up and down, and you never know, and, and the timing of the way things are released, like, that happens often. So, I, I was nothing to happy for him, because he's... Talented, you know. It's funny because I looked at now. I'm looking at who directed that. Um, I don't know if you know who the, who the director of. If you remember who the director of that is, he made um, Cisco Pike and More American Graffiti, a sequel to American Graffiti, Deadly Whispers. Oh yeah, I totally do remember. Yeah, I do remember him forever ago. But yeah, fun. It was a great. Experience. But it was kind of cheesy as that movie made then. Made for TV movies for CBS. Yeah, blah blah blah. Um, yeah, it was. It's for me to make. What's the difference you find in 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 being on the set on a TV movie and say like a studio film like Till There Was You or like not a, a huge budget feature but Till There Was You was a studio film from the people yeah. who made My So Called Life and yeah, there, and yeah, there was a lot of bumping was. into things and architecture yeah. and. Everything is completely different on each project you do. I mean, especially budget helps and changes that. Television is very, network television is fast-paced. I'm really used to it. I know, you know, it's got a certain schedule to it, and you show up and you do your job, and that's what you're hired for, and that's when it's over and you're gone. And it's obviously higher production value and all that, and then it's a little indie. Like, we shot Red, White, and Blue. We were doing, like, 40 setups a day. We are just running around to these locations hardly any lighting whatsoever and you know just 
banging it out and making it happen. And then you get to studio film and spend hours on a lighting setup before, you know, might do like a scene a day or something in between like I just finished working on last week where, you know, kind of the low budget, but they have a budget and everything's rushed, but they are doing lighting setup. I mean, everything is, is different. That's what I, for me, it's like I just love being on set and working. So it's not... I'm probably a pretty easy person to work with because I don't really have, you know, an ego with it. I'm like, oh, I need, I need to be in my trailer or this or that. Like, it's just every, I've been involved in so many different shooting environments that I just take whatever comes my way and try and make the best of it, basically. But everything is so pretty. It definitely makes a difference. Now, were you ever offered anything a little bigger on that 70s show playing Donna's sister? <laughs> Um, no, that was that. I mean, it was, you know, it's the running joke of the show is what, whatever happened to Long Lost Sister. And someone in Montreal, actually, a couple weeks ago, like, stopped me and was like, you're my fool. And I was like, yeah, I assumed they knew it might blue because that's what we're playing. They're like, that's Sydney show. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I couldn't even believe that, you know, that was something that recognized for it. But it was at the beginning of the series, and I don't know what exactly happened, but I think it had to do with they didn't know if it was going to be hit yet, they had a large cast of characters, and, and what they did with the character. It's just, yeah, no, that was that. Was that. <laughs> Whenever people ask, like, whatever happened to her, I'm always like, I don't know, you tell me. Like, they could have called me, I would have gladly, my friend Mila and, you know, and other people in the show, or I would love to have worked with them more. So, so I grew up with Mila before she looked at series where, you know, saw each other every day almost for auditions and stuff, so. I mean, you know, your performance, I know it was two lines, was so moving, I hope to see you in other episodes. <laughs> that, that, that's not nice. <laughs> no, it was fine. I mean, you only had two that's lines. That's ridiculous. It's so over the top. I mean, that's what the show is, you know. That's yeah. what, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm being facetious with you. Now. I know, I know. No, it's, it's embarrassing for me. Why is it embarrassing? You, 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 you uh, were on the show. You, you were like, what, 13, 14 years old at the time? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, it was fun, but it, it, it I don't know. It is what it is. <laughs> now, did you see Tales of the City? Since you've seen all of my work since I was, when I was 10, 11. I have seen Tales of the City, but I don't remember you in it. I'm sorry. Oh, come on now. That was my first thing ever, and that was, that was, that's a fun one. I, I was a sleek little, uh, precocious, campy little child, but scenes with more Lenny and all that, so. What was funny about that whole thing, too, is it was the first, first movie I ever did, and so my mom, and I didn't know, she didn't know to read the script at the time. Like, mm-hmm. she just thought, oh, she was this part, and we read the size, and that was enough. And then it turns out that the character that I'm with, playing Stanley, he ends up killing himself in the end because he was molesting me. But there's no scenes to show it. But that was, like, the backstory and what was the secret what was going on. I remember my mom watching the movie and just being horrified. But she was like, oh, my God, I had no idea. But, well, hopefully, you know, now we have to read scripts from now on. And then... Cut to a decade later, and the kind of work I'm doing now, I guess she shouldn't have been so horrified back then. But well, do you do you like call her up and say I get to be molested today, Mom? Oh, of course. My mom is one of my best friends, and she's my parents are incredibly supportive, and so as much as they can be cautious as to you know and apprehensive of some of the stuff that I have done and have to do, they support it and they trust me. So I can ask for anything more when it comes to that. Cause if I didn't have their support, I don't think I could take the risks that I do. So. 
Now, well, while uh, red, white, and blue, while you're shooting that, did you ever have a question? Hey, are we making kids too? No, I'm, it's funny, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of people that have brought up the similarities. And, and with the nudity stuff, there was a couple points, points where I was like, okay, you know, am I, I'm, you know, naked, but am I covered here? Like, I don't, I'm not doing porn out here, you know? And Milton would be like, no, you're good. So I trusted them, and it turned out, you know. Well, you're not doing, I mean, you know. I have to assume that the sex scenes were no. simulated. <laughs> I mean, no, of course they were. But, but well, then you're not doing a porno, so you're okay. But there, you know, there's certain there were certain angles that I'm like, okay, like, are we looking at my cross right now? Like, I can't tell where the camera and what the camera's seeing. And as much as I agreed to full nudity, like, I want to make sure that you know, not exposed in in certain ways that aren't necessary to be exposed in the film. So, but but they, you know, reassured me, and, and they were very truthful. Have you seen a Serbian film? I need to be in the mood, you know? Yeah. Well, I, don't want, I don't want to laugh at it is the problem. Some, right. some of those things are trying so hard to be offensive that I laugh at them. And yeah, I, it's I not a defense mechanism like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so jaded. It's not that. It's like you can see the, the just, like, depressing effort to try to get a rise out of you. Uh, I wonder, I would be curious as to your reaction to it, because I... I I was surprised because I'm not. I'm not. I don't normally watch films as heavy and intense as, as the ones I've exposed to lately, and all of that. I'm. I don't like seek it out, and I'm not well educated in the genre as much as I should be. But I, so I went into it thinking, oh my god, there's how am I going to get through this? And I actually came away thinking it was a really great film. So. I, oh, at least I, as long as there's an attempt to make a real movie, and the, the, yeah, no, there's definitely the an explicit attempt. stuff I, I, is is not just used. Like, for instance, you worked on a David DeFalco film. You know that, right? Which one? The, uh, whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a cartoon. There's no way around that. He shows up uh, on sets with his uh, fake um, eyes, like fake uh, contact lenses, you know, trying to intimidate, saying, I am the real power. And he made a movie called Chaos, which was a ripoff of Last House on the Left, with Sage Stallone and um, Kevin Gage, a couple other people. And it's one of those movies that's trying really, really hard to be, to offend you. And then when it doesn't work, it's trying to pretend it's a cautionary tale about don't go getting in people's cars, otherwise they'll rape and kill you or something. And that movie is tremendously unpleasant but is incompetent enough where you can laugh at it despite the you know various disemboweling moments that I won't describe in detail for you worse than anything that happens in red white and blue certainly but the the effort you, your reaction is either like what th- this is a weird poser attempt to be offensive or this is so terrible that it's hilarious right yeah yeah. And I'm not like, and but he takes himself so seriously. I don't know which which it is, and whether or not it matters. Well, if it's not succeeding in any of those areas, then you don't count. Then what's the point, really? I guess. I mean, it's like a 65 minute movie with 11 minutes of credits. Of what? 11 minutes of closing credits. Wow. And there's like 20 people credited. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. They just had to fill it out. I mean, it's one of those like we're trying to shock, we're trying to get notoriety. <laughs> Uh, and if you've seen the original Last House and Left, even the remake, I mean, the remake follows it enough, the original, to get the, to get the sense, or even the Virgin Spring, if you want to see the original, original, the Bergman film that Last House and Left is based on. It follows that enough, but the ending, they tried to be a little tricky, and it's, 
I think a friend of mine said this perfectly. He said one of the most idiotic rounds of uh, anticlimactic violence that he's ever seen. It's like they try to be sneaky and cool and whatever they try to be. It's just so bizarre and makes no sense. And it's just an attempt to be, you know what? I'm almost recommending it, but I'm not. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> right. You are. You're, you're I'm almost talking line. it up enough, but the movie's not bad enough to be funny. Like, I could talk up the Boondock Saints and make fun of it endlessly, but that would mean that you'd have to sit through either of those movies. Don't worry, I won't. Okay. <laughs> and suffer like I suffered through Boondock Saints 1 and 2. That's more, more your job to, to do that then, right? Like you watched Primal Doubt for me. For, yes, I did. That's right. <laughs> now I have to turn it around. Do you think, do you honestly think Red, White, and Blue is in the same category? No, 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 no. Because uh, Red, White, and Blue is not a, a great movie. Did you like anything about it? Sure. I, I like the audaciousness of, of the, the, the tone changes. I thought you were very good, actually. I, and I, I kind of wish that it had taken it more seriously, honestly. How do you think, how do you feel like it didn't take it so seriously? No, no, no. I kind of wish they'd taken your plot more seriously. Oh. I think that, I think that in fact, turning it into like a, a, a sort of a torture movie is a bit of a cop-out, actually. Okay. Honestly, I couldn't see what was coming next with your stuff at all because it's not predictable it does not follow a normal pattern and we're learning more about you and then you know there's the once they cut away from Noah Taylor and the you know like I want to say something to you and then we find out the marriage like I kind of felt cheated actually really? yeah I wish that it had been more about you two that would have been a much better movie I didn't care about you screwing your way through the cast of the Warriors but cast of the Warriors? yeah you, you were screwing your way through the cast of the Warriors what, mean, what do you mean? you ever see the Warriors? the 70s gang movie it's a great it's a, it's a lot of fun it's a great movie you definitely enjoy that that's like some of the best like legitimate camp that exists um, and it's a, it's an actually a good movie but it's very surreal and it was shot it's very it feels very 70s even though it's not a period piece and it's it's just sometimes you can tell a movie when it was made and it doesn't like even if it's a period piece about a certain time it right. has that look, yeah. like you can see right. Once Upon a Time in America and tell it was made in the mid-80s, even if it's about the 30s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and not just because you know that it was made in the 80s, and not just because you know the actors, there's like the film stock look, there's a whole thing. And the Warriors, like the, the guy the, the guy who ends up killing you, and he's got the weird earrings, that's like all out of the Warriors. That's why one of the reasons I asked, like, is that an ode to the Warriors? Because it's just too deliberate. And that, that was the, the issue, is that I thought it was, I thought they were going to go somewhere interesting with your relationship, and I didn't need it to be like, at the end, everyone is happy. That's not necessary. And, you know, in fact, I didn't even need to know that Noah Taylor was, I, I thought it would have been much better if he was lying about his whole thing with the um, CIA or whatever it was, because then it would be, you know, a, a portrayal of two sort of screwed up people. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, people who don't respond to it as much like you have that same kind of criticism of you know I kind of wanted more of the relationship it was such a great tragic kind of it was honest and real and honestly torture yeah. stuff's not honest it's it's you, you were already in an exploitation film but not in a seedy way not in a urine sex scenes because we have to show breasts sort of way um, do you feel like that for Red, White, and Blue? I feel that the, you, the first two acts are not that. I th I, and, and then I think that the, the last part really cheapens the movie, actually, because it almost turns what you did to completely pointless. Because if you took those two acts out, it doesn't matter. Like, you could... It, the fact that it's not a natural progression is a problem because you, the investment you have is irrelevant. 
at that point. Right, but I think it's also commentary on the consequences of our actions and what we do, you know, choices that we make and how they may come back at us. And also, I think it raises, without the torture stuff and without the revenge and all of that, it doesn't raise the same kind of questions on morality and what is right and wrong and how do you really gauge that. I think that our intention was to, to create characters that uh, weren't good or bad and just kind of were human. Yeah, that's, that would be fine, but I really think that turning it into a hiding the body sort of mystery and thriller, it, it's uh, it just really cheapens the whole thing. It's not, you know, that's the generic portion of the movie, and I was amused only in that it's so wrong-headed in a sense. It's it's exactly, you know, what someone who wasn't interested in making the first two acts of the movie would do. Like, as if the point was to get to the last act for the torture, and the first two acts was just, like, filler. When, in fact, that's the best part of the movie. And your relationship with him, is the, with Noah Taylor, is the, is the most interesting stuff. That's a shame that you saw, by the way. I, I, see what you're, I see your point. That's why I love making film like this, honestly, is because, and this is why I want to make more provocative films like this, because it, it you know, everyone takes it a different way. Like, we've had people scream at us in Q&As because they were so offended by the fact that we were commenting on people who had a, a you know, abusive past and what they do. And then I've had girls, like, in Rotterdam, there was a girl that raised her hand crying, and she was like, because the programmer had asked, you know, this is a feel-bad movie. Like, what's the point in, in making a feel-bad movie when nobody, it's like mainstream, nobody's going to watch it, nobody's going to sell this. And someone was like, well, you know, it just, I don't see it that way. And then the girl raised her hand. She's, like, crying in the front row in the IMAX, you know, theater. Mm-hmm. And she's basically thanking me for And she's like, I don't see it, see it as a feel-bad movie at all. Like, I can connect to Erica. And before things turned bad, I actually saw hope. And it made me feel like there was maybe hope. And she's, like, sobbing. And yeah, but you know what? I agree with her. She's right. That is, that is, that, that is a, a reaction I can understand. And the last third of the movie, I don't get unless you're making some other kind of movie. And, and it makes it very hard to make any legitimate commentary on something if you're just going to lapse into common exploitation. It's, it becomes impossible. Like, people getting offended is, is more di- less palatable to me because how could you take it seriously? You, you really don't think that those events have ever happened or and or can and do Oh, happen. I'm sure they, they could happen. But the way that it's constructed is so unlikely and the, the tone changes so much and then there's this big gap. That, that gap is a, is a problem. It was like he didn't know where to go when he was writing the script at that point and then it was just like, all right, well, I know how to do horror, so let's turn this into like a, a torture movie. You know, that's popular right now. And I don't want to think while I'm watching a movie is like that it's just a trend. Like, I've written about, um, do you know the movie The Cell? Yeah. Which is a, a terrible film, but beautiful to look at. And if you listen to the commentary, it's one of the most interesting director's commentaries that's ever been done. Because the director's totally honest about what a piece of shit the movie is. Um, wow. And it's a studio film, it's New Line, and they'd done a bunch yeah. of uh, serial killer movies around that time, visually audacious ones like that, like, and, and other visually audacious movies like Dark City and The Matrix and, you know, you know a, n- a number of other films. And he talks about how the the genre at the time was serial killer movies. So he said to New Line that as long as I can bring my people, like my art directors, the costume designers, and that's why the visual look is just stunning. And then you could tell that the script is way down the list of cares. Um, right. Like it doesn't. Most of the plot doesn't really hang together. The acting is 
really the worst performances of almost any of their career, especially Vince Vaughn. But it doesn't it doesn't matter. And he's basically saying, you know, if it hadn't been a serial killer movie, it would have been whatever's popular now. Like in other words, if he made it in two thousand five, he would have brought it to Saw. I I can I yeah that makes perfect sense to me. I don't think that that was Simon's train of thought, and that it would be interesting to hear you guys speak about it because I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that that was his intention. Or I don't mean his intention, but there was a. The, the rest of I don't it, the, think he sat there and said, oh, okay, I don't know what else to do with this. I'm going to make it torture. No, no, no. I, I don't think that it's, a lot of that is conscious, is okay. what I'm getting at. I think he didn't have a way out, and then he thought, oh, this is good. Like, what if we turn it into this? And not in a, like, a really cynical way, but in a, like, there's a fear way. Like, you can't write your way out of something. And the third act is always the hardest part to write. Maybe he thought that, like, if we just change completely into something else, it'll be really disquieting and disorienting. But I think well, yeah, that undercuts undercuts the movie itself, and there's that big... It's also interesting in changing the structure of, of filmmaking, how we see it, and, like, playing with that, you know, turning it on its head, like, how else can we, like, structure a film, you know, that isn't in a typical way that we see all of our horror movies or all of our other films made, and I think that was more interesting to him than, like, I'm going to try and get my way out of this, and then this will be, like this will be shocking or whatever. I think, I think if, I mean, you know, working with him and I'm doing this on myself and believing that the way that I do, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of other layers that, you know, we had the intention of, of making clear that would discount like your, the way you saw it. That obviously you didn't completely get all of that, that there's reasons for all of that. I'm sure there are. And I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting that it was cheap exploitation. I'm suggesting that there's that big hole of, when he uh, he says, I have something to you know, tell you or ask you, and then yeah. we don't find out what it is. Fine. But then we cut to, to characters that we haven't seen for an hour. Right. And then go into the... And honestly, don't care about them. You know, if you want to bring them back, just as an example, of like she's reckless and you want to be like... That's fine, too. But then the whole, like, I don't really feel sorry for him. I don't, you know, I don't buy into any of that. And then when you really want me to, like, see, like, he's, he's gone nuts, I don't, you know... It, it, there's just a, one of my favorite movies is called Hard Eight. Do you know it? No. Uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson. It's his first film. Oh uh, yeah, I did. I saw it forever ago. Yeah. Right. And do you remember the opening scene? Just one of the a, a great scene. It's uh, John C. Riley and Philip Baker Hall in a diner discussing why John C. Riley cannot afford the funeral of his of his mother um, and can't afford to bury her, so he came to Vegas to win some money. And it's it's beautiful. And then. The movie fades out after that great opening scene, and then we cut to two years later. Now, you could have gone anywhere with the movie at that point. And they deal with the hole in time. But what what Red, White, and Blue doesn't do is deal with that hole in that big switch. You, you, there's and that was, and that was an, I totally see your point. I completely I think that's a valid point completely. And I, I, I know that, that I'm pretty positive in saying that that was intentional, actually, was to leave the audience going, okay, this guy's a creep, and she's lost, and she doesn't know. You know, and they have this strange connection, and he's probably a murderer. So, what is that question? What does that mean? And like, leaves the audience thinking, okay, they're going to go on a murder spree. Like, what is this about? And then, you know, coming around and it. it, it but it took too long. You, you had twenty-five but, minutes before we came back to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I'm pretty. I'm almost positive that that was actually intentional. And it wasn't. You know, he meant to open that question up and not come into to the very, very end last shot of the entire movie, which was, you know, he asked me to marry him. So, 
I mean, that was that's the intention of it. So, you know, it didn't work for you, and that makes sense to me. It just felt like a miscalculation, and I'm not trying to argue no, with you I, until you hate your own no, movie. Not, Although no, no, I could no, do I'm it if you want. No, I think I love hearing. No, I love hearing your opinion. That's why, like I keep saying, that's why I make movies like this. That's why I love just you know, like making a bold choice and then letting people take it how they take it. And I'm in, I'm interested in in how it, it affected you and what you feel feel about it. So I'm not arguing with you. I'm just. I'm just Why not? Why aren't you arguing with me? Argue with me. <laughs> you, want me to, you want me to hate you so bad. <laughs> uh, that actually is my uh, tendency. Um. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, then you're talking to the wrong person because I don't. I try and find the love wherever I go. And my whole reason for doing what I do and living the life I live is, is to like collaborate and learn about people and you know connect with them. On some you level, Hollywood so. people are all the same. You won't hate anyone. <laughs> There's a lot of other people outside of it. Oh, but I know. I, I, I've met them. No, I think that your your point of view is completely valid, and I'm glad that you have it. And I that's why, you know. Well, no, I mean, I was intrigued by the movie because, you you know, I'm watching it, and, and, and the, the first thing when you're taking a shower, and I'm like, is this a rape shower? And then I realized it's kind of a pre-rape shower, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Every night is your own re-raping of, exactly. of remembering yeah. your childhood. So it's always yeah. like, you know. I'm going to now think about this, and now I'm going to go find some random dude and fuck him. Yep. So I thought that stuff was interesting, and I think the exploration of that is honest, and falling into the trap of trying to scare us or offend us in an unnatural way is not why you make the first two-thirds of the movie. The point I was trying to make is that if you took away the first two-thirds of the movie, it wouldn't change anything that happens in the third act. Right. Okay. You could have made it without that. And if you, if you the whole thing should be... A movie, not a series of unconnected pieces, because it's not—it's not really a puzzle. I mean, that, you know. I disagree with that because when with, we see what happens to Noah's character, mm-hmm. Nate, when when he finds out that I've died and we fall in love and all that shit, like without the first two acts, without that first act between us, mm-hmm. like that would not. I mean, I I know the, I know the story, I know the script, like the back of my hand. I shot the thing, mm-hmm. but. When I watch the movie, and I've only seen it a couple times, so I can barely dare to see it, but when I do, I'm crying at that point because, oh, because, and it's probably because I'm so personally connected with the, you know, relationship we created together, but he's mourning the loss of me in, in such an honest way, and, and that's kind of where all the revenge comes from. So I disagree that, that the third act is... No, 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 I can understand the revenge. It just seemed misguided, the detail with which it was dealt with. In terms of the tone of the rest of the film, just because it became a Hans piece and or like a torture, I, I understand. Yeah. Okay. And and it's not again. I'm not offended by any of it, but it's what made me take the movie less seriously. Because. Yeah, but I feel like it is rooted in still it's still rooted in their emotional behavior of the characters. You know, like it's still it's more meaningful than just you know. Yeah, but you know, it, scalping is not meaningful. No, okay. It's just, I, I, it's yeah. just, it's just okay. a gross out, and I'm not, you know, again, I'm not criticizing you or Simon or anything. No, no, it's a good point. I, yeah, but I'm, yeah, I have no argument towards that. I mean, but I feel like, you know, it, his intention was to have a, a character be the torture expert, and that's how he sought revenge. And well, you know, yeah, it did take that. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I win. You won a little bit. I won. But you're still not saying things. As, as Are you, you know, partner to have an argument because I'm pretty open. Are you on, so. You were on the debate team? No, I wasn't. Oh. I was an actor. <laughs>
with me, whatever you want to do. But for all the people, all the positive response that we've gotten from this movie, because there's been a lot of positive response by people that are blown away by it, and mm-hmm. it's a masterpiece, blah, blah, blah. What do you say to that? Like, you think they're just more just, like, off of there? Well, it depends on what they say about it. I don't really care. Positive or negative, that is a personal scale issue. Like, right. you know, so I... I uh, do you think that's completely like? Do you not understand why that it would get that kind of response? Like, do you no, I can see, I can see that. It's it, the people are less critical and and they're less worried about the certain things than I am. Like yesterday, I was a screening of the other guys, and I talked to this couple afterwards, and they agreed absolutely with everything I said about the, my criticisms of the movie. But they enjoyed the movie anyway because right. they thought it was funny, and I thought it was funny at points. But then, like the the tone is so off, and all those. Will Ferrell, Adam McKay movies have that problem because they're all improvised. They have no consistency of tone, pacing. The camera, uh, you know, it's so clear that they've shot so much of it later um, because from shot to shot, the color correction's off, you know, that kind of thing. And it's all very distracting and, like, there's no rhythm in anything because how could there be any rhythm if you're just making shit up as you go along? Right, but I'm talking about not just random couples after the thing. I'm talking about people that are like, well... No, no, what I mean is, what I was getting at is, people may notice exactly what I noticed and like it anyway. Because they... Or like like those things about it. Right, exactly. Right, okay. There's there's, there's no wrong. I mean, wrong is to say, I hated it and not say why. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm just curious. If I was going to be negative and not defend my position, then you'd have a right to get upset at me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 you're the first person that I've discussed the film with that has had, you know, seen it in, in such an in-depth way as you have and, and as these other journalists have and had your point of view and took it, you know, the way you have. So it's interesting. I wanted to know what you felt about The way I had, you mean, like, negatively or, or frustrated? Or that it, yeah, or that, that it didn't work for you and that it, it would have been better this way or that, you know, all of, all of your opinions, which are valid and, you know, make sense to me. And obviously, they're your opinions, and I think that's great. But people that have the same, seen the same sort of stuff in the film and liked the liked it for those reasons and people that are well educated and their life is horror film and is the genre you know what I mean like mm-hmm. and, and they are taking it as, as a very special thing because it's well it really depends on who you're showing into it and where you're showing it because the the festival circuit is very insular and very deceptive yeah very deceptive um, the fact that the theater that we were in where I saw it was not full does not mean that the movie is bad or there's something wrong with it or whatever. It actually, um, a, a distributor said this to me about that very theater we were in that said, said if you go there on a Friday night and you fired a gun into the theater, you probably won't hit anyone. Wow. And so he goes to a lot of those films to figure out what to pick out. And he wants to see the crowd reaction, how many people show up, you know, all that stuff. So he might have been in the audience and I didn't notice him, you know. But the, the point is that once it's outside of the festival arena, where people are rooting for your movie, that's the other problem, is that people really want your movie to be good. There is no sense of objectivity for the people who paid 10 to $15 to see that. None. They really want to like it. The most mediocre things in the world get acclaim at festivals. It's the whole, you know, it started with at Sundance doing that, like, you know, people paying $10 million for something like Happy Texas or the Spitfire Grill things that really are about the level of primal doubt and should be on the Lifetime Network. Um, right. And they and then the movie comes out and does no business and nobody gives a shit at all. And yeah. so it's very deceptive. So you just, you know, you have to enjoy the praise and then realize that once it plays in theaters, 
Yeah. It's going to play to empty theaters, and that's not because you did something wrong. Oh, yeah, no, I don't expect it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, whole, that's the problem with this film from the beginning, is it's not a film that will be selling out theaters. Because, you know, you don't have a star in it. You, you have a semi-name from a movie that was, you know, oh, yes, he was in Shine right. 15 years ago. Did you like Noah in it, in Red, White, Blue? Uh, I know you didn't like the accent, obviously. It, it was hard. It was hard to distinguish. He's a very good actor. I've liked him in a lot of other things, but his accent was so all over the place that it was hard to, to take him seriously. You're the first person that said that, and and everyone else is like flawless Texas accent. Oh, really? And I'm kind of like really flawless. Like, okay. Yeah, really not flawless. Everyone sees that. I was like, all right. Slips of plenty. I mean, I don't know if he had, did. He go do some ADR afterwards to try to fix it up or. Uh-uh, no, I don't, oh, there was no ADR for a film, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, look, it's necessary, you're not going to get all the sound live. So. No, we did, though, there was no ADR, honestly. Everything actively shot. I mean, you know, in a way that's good. I mean, if you ever see a movie that's completely ADR, you ever see yeah, L.A. Confidential, yeah. it's very distracting. Yeah, yeah it is. ADR can kill something, especially with actors that don't know. Do you, have you seen L.A. Confidential? Yeah, I mean, a long time it's, ago. It's like 99% ADR. Yeah. Uh, and it takes away from the performances, even though it's a very well-made film. It does, because there's no way of matching your... Yeah, I mean, it works for television fine. Like, I've done a shit ton of it for television, and right. I'm pretty good at it because of that. But it, if you're trying to, you know, give an authentic performance in a film where you're really, like, watching, you know, getting really close to these characters, and right. that kind of... You're exposed in that way, then ADR, there's no way that you can make that all be in unison, you know, just for well, considering it, we, you brought her up, but uh, and I'm not even asking this like a like a creepy way, although okay. I guess you could take it that way. So, Chloe Sevigny did, did the uh, sex scene in the Brown Bunny, and that she will ever be famous for this for the rest of her life, for being a mainstream actress doing a, a, a porn scene. Although it's not really porn because it does have a point in the film. Porn is simply for exploiting the sexual element, but it's hard to to believe that she really thought that was necessary. Now that you've done nude scenes that seemed pertinent to the film, and I agree they did, can you justify for her or for yourself to do a scene like that, as graphic as that? If it's not pertinent to the story? Well, it was pertinent to the story in The Brown Bunny, but the, but fact, it's, that it's, it's the fact that it's a close-up, clear, real blowjob is not no. necessary, really. Yeah, I agree. If it's not necessary... The only thing that I... The only way I see it is if, if it's necessary is... Is by not showing it, are you ta- are you taking away from the audience something that they would see? You know what I mean? Like, are you making it, are you distracting the audience by not showing it? Does that make sense? Like, yes, but have you, have you seen The Brown Money? No, I haven't seen it, but okay. I've seen the clip. I, I know what you're talking about. Well, the clip and is totally like, out of context. It's not fair. It has to be shot in that way. Yeah, exactly. It's, but I'm, I'm taking, I'm, you know, in general, I'm taking yeah. it in general terms. That's how I see all of that stuff. Is if if you're, you know, if it's not being shown because the audience is distracted because it's not being shown, then you need to put it in. But I don't think that's the case for that, honestly. And I don't the same reason why you don't see, you know, actual like penises being <laughs> entering me in red, white, and blue. Is you right. get what's going on, right. and you know, because we're showing it. Do you, do you you find that maybe you'll just get offered all that stuff? Like you open floodgates. That's, that's the risk, and that's yeah, that's. A, the challenge I'm facing now is like, okay, am I just going to get pigeonholed as a girl that does, you know, heavy performances in horror films that are really, really disturbing to watch and get, 
we'll take our clothes off. Like, I don't... But in, in, in that sense, don't you kind of wish that perhaps Red, White, and Blue was a less straight-ahead torture horror film? It was, like, an exploration film? Like, well, people aren't seeing it as a straight horror film. Like, no, 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 I know. But what I'm getting at is, what if the, you know, would you be considered and quote-unquote more credible... And I thought your performance was fine. Mainstream, you mean? If it not mainstream, but if the movie did not take the the third act torture turn and became it was just an exploration of the two characters and kept oh. the, kept the sex scenes the same and all that other stuff. Would I, wait, so would I feel what about it? Would, would, would do you think that would give you more credibility more with agents and and yeah, uh, yeah, probably, yeah, probably. Because that way you wouldn't be pigeonholed. Because while you were in a movie that was frightening, like emotionally, it's not. Right. Uh, you know, across the line that people aren't afraid to cross. Yeah, right. Definitely. I I just want to keep telling you know stories that are brave and interesting. And that's, that's ha! I got you to admit that the movie would be better without the torture. Yeah. No, I agree that that could be a different way that it could go. And it I, was, I'm, it was I'm, hold, I'm it was joking with you. Was, I'm, no, no, no. But no, but you're right because yeah. I do I do agree with you on a certain extent on uh, in the fact that it could have gone that way and been a completely different movie. I think it would have been wonderful. I don't think it takes away from the way the movie is now. I think it's just different choices personally. So. There should be a choose your adventure option on the DVD. You're right. You, can, you can write you write your own third act. <laughs> Because I, I just liked doing it so much. I, I just liked walking on eggshells with actors. I enjoy this so much more, busting their chops. Um, <laughs> trying to trying to be polite, trying to get a performance out of them, and then sitting in the editing room and struggling and going, oh, this is going to take forever. And I'm not, well, that's because you're working with shit actors. I, I know you don't think that highly of me, but... No, I, I told you that I thought your performance was good. I said that I said that you, I thought that the third act wasted you. Because yeah. it's a different movie, and it requires much less that, from what you were able to offer in the first two acts. You were convincingly trashy and sleazy. How about that? You didn't, you didn't feel like the, what my character went through emotionally in the third act was convincing? No, you were screwed over by... You, no, because you were screwed over by the, the circumstances. Because the movie stopped being about you, and it started being about Noah Taylor. And you, you were like a... a cam, you, you had a cameo in your own movie. Wow, so interesting. Because it, you're you're almost not really in it, and you're not relevant. You're just you're a MacGuffin in your own movie in the third act. In the third act, well, after you mean after I die? No, even before that, you're just a MacGuffin. You're a thing that's in the way. It doesn't matter what you are. You could have been a rabbit. No, I mean that's what a lot of when like the most part of her emotional life comes through. I agree, but you're, you're, you're just a pawn at that point, because the story becomes about the cancer AIDS guy with the warrior's earrings. And yeah, but you're also, you, that's when you find out like the actual background and all this stuff with my character and where she comes from. Yeah, but we don't, you don't even need to tell us. You don't need to tell us. You don't think we figured that out? That you've been yeah. abused? And that you probably had AIDS? You don't think that was self-evident? Yeah. You know, when you said condoms are for pussies or faggot, whatever you said? You don't think we figure out, oh, she's probably got every venereal disease possible. Not everyone figures that out, though. Because those people, those people are idiots. If you can't figure out that sleeping with a different person every night and you're not going to get a disease. Yeah. And it, it's not a movie made in the 70s. It's a movie made now where, what is it, 40% right. of the population right. has herpes? Right. But it, it's just interesting. I, I get your point completely, and I, I know what you're saying, but the fact that... that you saw me as a pawn and didn't connect with the emotional life and it didn't affect you at all is, is 
Yeah. And I know that's the part that's supposed to be most affecting, but I was more affected by the scenes where you're just talking, and it's not just a bunch of, you know, screaming and, and, and cutting yeah. up and, yeah, you know, it, contrivance. Yeah. and The thing is, he doesn't even... The, the whole thing where he might have given his mom AIDS doesn't even matter in the scheme of things. Because it's not even why she commits suicide. And then it turns out, what, theoretically, that she didn't have it or whatever... There was a whole bit of confusion, and I'm like, so she didn't have it, but then she killed herself, and I thought she was getting better, and I know that... Where did she didn't have it? I never got that. Where did you get the... She didn't have it. They said, oh, I tested negative. She says that. Oh, I don't even... I I don't even know. That whole subplot is unnecessary, because it's it's from a different movie, and I know it's very personal to Simon, because... His mom had, you know, died of cancer, and I understand. I haven't watched *The Living and the Dead* yet, but um, I understand he put it in that one too. But yeah, you know, Magnolia had too many people dying of cancer just because Paul Thomas Anderson's dad died of cancer too. Okay. Yeah. How many people dying of cancer do you need to put in your movies? Is that yeah. going to be your motif? Is that going to be your red apple cigarettes for Quentin Tarantino? No, but but you know, filmmakers are making films from that come from. Themselves. No, I know, but if it's unnecessary, like, like if you're making a kids' movie. You know, do you throw in, like, and the mom died of cancer? You know, if you're, if you're making a science fiction movie that takes place in, you know, 35, yeah, 72, it, and the mom died of cancer. What, but there was a purpose, and you don't see it as a purpose that's valid or valuable, but there was a purpose in the sense that it added to whatever Mark's character is going through. Yeah, but I don't care about him. Because, no. he's, he's so, because he disappears for an hour, and then the movie's not really about him, and I don't care about his band, I don't need any of that stuff, because the movie's about you, otherwise we wouldn't start with you and continue with you for an hour. Yeah. If you want to make a movie about Mark, go ahead and make a movie about Mark. Call it The Runaways 2 or whatever. <laughs> not the troubling story of the girl who's sleeping with everyone and meets some guy who might be sympathetic to her cause. What is what is this other guy that she slept with one time have to do with it? What are her friends and confronting him at the bar? You know what? I wanted to see that scene at the bar. I wanted to see the kidnapping if you're going to do that. I, I think that it's also another idea of the film is to, you know, have three different lives and how they intertwine and how they end up affecting each other and stuff. Yeah, but so then why, 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 avoid, why avoid the confrontations then? Because, um, I don't know, it's just it's a way you decide to make your film is leave certain things up to the audience's imagination. You don't need to see everything. But it's like, it's like watching the romantic comedy where it's like watching the romantic comedy where the two people bond but you never see them talking and it's all told in montage. Well, I think at that point, though, he's trying to make it more... He's turning it to Noah's Noah's perspective and it's more interesting to tell the fact that I've been kidnapped through Noah trying to find me than it would be just to show it as, like literally you know what I mean like in order to shift it to be Noah's storyline and he's going to take control but you're worrying see what you just did is worry about plot and it's about character what you de- what you described is more about like plot convenience and using all those things when in fact a scene where his character confronts your character about sleeping around and not giving a shit about it. It's fascinating, potentially. And we never really get much of that. Oh, you mean with me and Noah? Well, him and you and and, and you and the Warriors guy. But that happens with the Warriors guy. Yeah, but only briefly. And and the scene in the bar would have, where, where they come and find you would have been really interesting to see what the reaction would have been. 
to see like the the oh, conversation we see right after we see right when they've taken me to the house. That's I know, right but it, the the interest is in the the conflict that we could not understand without being you know that we we haven't seen before. The, the notion of that someone with who's gotten AIDS from someone who's being reckless is confronting that person and literally kidnapping them. I'd like to know. Yeah, I'd like to know that point. Stuff in the bar would literally be just a bunch of guys grabbing me, overbearing me physically, and throwing me into the car, and then throwing me into the couch, and we pick up there again. Yeah, but nobody would have believed that because four guys just go in, and a girl's not screaming, and all that stuff. Which is, you know, that's why the conversation would have been more interesting. I, I understand what you're saying. I also think that I feel like the conversation happens. It's just told once we get back to the house. That's the conversation. Like, does she know? Is she doing this intentionally? Like, the conversation happened. I don't know. I mean, it just needed a little more. You wanted more of that. Okay. Yeah, because that is the interesting it part. It is there. It does exist. No, I know, but it's kind of a shallow exploration of it. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. I yeah. Okay. And that's that, at that point is where the movie kind of goes off the rails because then that's where he's like, well, let's get married. And we're like, okay, he's lost it, and this is absolutely insane and funny. And yeah. that shouldn't have been funny. That should seem okay. kind of weird and desperate and, you know, one of those things like, you know what a bug chaser is? A what? A bug chaser. A bug chaser? Yes. No. A bug chaser is someone who, it's usually gay men, who um, try to get um, HIV positive. Oh, okay. Um, it's unfortunately common. I've done articles on it. And, you know, it sounds really stupid, but it really exists. Um, and they look for guys who are HIV positive so they can stop worrying about it. Wow. Okay. There's a documentary you can watch on it called The Gift. It's made about seven years ago because they're called Gift Givers. Wow. And, you know, those people are idiots, but the you don't get a lot of confronting one way or the other. And we, we don't get, you know, that would be interesting to see. You wanted more, I, I totally heard you say, you wanted it to really deal with issues and, like, not go into a genre piece. I, I, I agree. I mean, I agree on the spirit that it would be a completely different movie, and yet it would be a really, really good movie. I agree with you. Right. I mean, the, if you want to make a genre movie, make a genre movie. And if you want to yeah, make but, something I mean, that switches, like, Something Wild is one of my favorite movies, and that switches genres every 15 minutes. And I'm okay with that, because it seems natural. But this was like a whiplash. But then it's, then, I mean, that's what I like about it. Because then it's like, so, you're taken so aback by it that it affects you, like, viscerally. You're like, holy shit, this has taken this turn. Like, I mean, for me, and maybe because I'm so close to it story-wise and character-wise, but when I first watched the film, I was like, I completely, you know, I was devastated. We were doing a Q&A after, and, you know an IMAX fucking theater in Rotterdam and I could barely speak because I was so affected emotionally by it and it hit me so hard that third act like hit me so hard and so I feel like that in tone does something specifically to the audience have you ever seen have you seen Breaking the Waves no the Lars von Trier film one of the most draining movies I've ever seen and it's three hours nearly and uh, it's about a romance between uh, Emily Watson and Stellan Skarsgård and she's a little off, and he's like an oil worker who gets into an accident, and she stays by him. She's so devoted. And basically, he, he, he uh, asks her to start sleeping around with strangers and then come back and tell him about it. And if the movie at two hours in had turned into a kidnap movie, I would have been really depressed and annoyed. 
but at the end of the movie I could not stand up because I was so drained because even though it's very depressing you could make a case that it's misogynistic especially in the view of Lars von Trier's follow-up films that are pretty similar like Dogville and uh, Dancer in the Dark but it, it was not dishonest it was not an attempt to explore something and then getting chicken shit about it and I, what I was, I'm not suggesting that Simon is a chicken shit I think you, you get where I'm going I do, I do. I, I think that's a completely valid point. I would be interested in seeing that movie as well. I just think it's two different movies. Well, yes, you made two different movies. I agree. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, like, like if we were to take... I, 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 know, I know. I'm just saying yeah. that you made two different movies, but... Or, no, but... No, that's not true, though, because we made one movie. We chose to have two, you know, a different... We, we, he chose to make that movie, in a sense, where you feel like it was disjointed. Mm-hmm. But that was the movie he wanted to make, and that is, it is one movie. No, no, I get it. I have to make it that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't agree with the way it, it, it went, and you think that it would have been... It, disjointed and blah 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 and I see that point but you can't discount it from being one movie cause no no I was, I was it was being facetious anyway okay you got okay. defensive and I think you no, should because I'm passionate about the film so I, I, I like this dialogue because it's interesting to me and I totally think that your points are valid and I agree with you on, on many levels I also don't discount that from the movie we made and I, I, I'm being defensive because I care about it you no, know? I, I got it I didn't expect you to shit all over it turn it into a compliment to me you actually wanted to see more of me in the movie yes <laughs> I'll take that well, we should end it on that note <laughs> I mean, all I'm out for is, like, you know, exploring truth and, like, having dialogue and communication. You know, all that shit. But that's what this is. I'm embracing it. Ending up in pieces in a garbage bag. That, too. Yeah, that, too. I love, you know, a good picture, a good snapshot of me with my head in the bag. So, that's what's fun. You should put that on your website. <laughs> yeah, but we give away first of the film until, you know, maybe really. You can just say, uh, this is my day job. I was doing community service for something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I clean up body parts. You know, I, I had too many DUIs, so uh, that's why I moved to New York because I couldn't drive anymore. So this is my first. <laughs> uh, that's quite the contrary, actually. I'm a good girl, unfortunately. Uh-huh. If I had been, if I had had more DUIs, maybe I, you know, be more on the radar. Thank you.